Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. Today we're talking about giving life. Every year we give away hundreds of thousands of dollars to partner ministries that we believe are giving life in Christ. Today we're going to talk about that. What does it mean when we say we are giving life? What kind of life are we talking about? What's that life look like? How do I know it when I see it? If you want to join us in giving life to those who don't yet know Christ, you can do that easily on highlandcc.org forward slash give. We'd love for you to be part of Life Giving Sunday. Let's hear the message. Today is a big day. It's one of my favorite days of the year. This is Life Giving Sunday. And so I want to thank you for being here with us, whether you're joining us online or you're on site with us. Thanks for being part of this special day. We're going we're gonna to do something amazing today. We've been singing about God's glory this morning. We're going to talk about glory today. And what we do this morning brings God glory. And so I just, I got up this morning excited about this day. Here's the thing. I'm going to talk today about what we're doing. We give to support these life-giving ministries that you saw here. But the thing is, and if you're here in this room, you certainly know this. If you're watching online, you've been a Highland a long time. You certainly know this. But those who are maybe just tuning in, who are just joining us, who stumbled across this worship service may not know this. And that's that I don't have to persuade y'all to give. Uh, you're going to do it. You're going to give this $275,000, and then we're going to give it away to the best ministries and missionaries we know. I don't have to persuade y'all to do it. But what we, what we say sometimes is that money talks, okay? And what I want to do this morning is we'll try to interpret what our money is saying, <laughs> this morning. Because money talks, we just don't always know what it's saying. And um, so we're going to give a lot of money today away so that more people may have life in Christ. And for the sake of those who are watching today, I'm just going to try to explain what all that money's saying. Because it's saying something to you that I hope you'll hear. Last week, we talked about in 2 Corinthians where we read that the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. And we said that we believe what we do today doesn't matter unless the Spirit of God is behind it. But what we also talked about last week, and we're going to end up there at the end of this sermon, is that the Spirit gives life through us, that God chooses to use us. It's what makes Christianity different from every other religion. In every other religion, God works around people. He works above people. But in Christianity, God works through His people to give life. Well, what kind of life are we talking about? That's where we're going to jump in this morning. Can we pray as we jump in? God, we love and adore you. We pray, God, we beg you, God, that what we do this morning will bring you glory. God, I pray that you will open the hearts of those who are listening this morning, who are joining us, whether on-site or online, that you'll make them gracious, that you'll make them jump at the chance to be part of something that you are doing in the world something that lasts, something that's eternal. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Uh, usually when we do this Sunday, I say, hey, this is, this is something that Highlanders do. If you're our guest today, don't feel obligated to give. But last time was our first time to do, this was in the spring, to do an outreach contribution online and uh, during the midst of the pandemic, which we're still in. And what we found out was that I think we had over 20 people who were not Highlanders who gave towards this. And so maybe you're watching right now, or maybe you're here on site today. You're not a part of the Highland family officially, but you want to be part of something awesome. Well, if you want to do that, it's pretty easy. 
You go to highlandcc.org slash give, okay? highlandcc.org slash give. And there, once you get to that site, there's a little drop-down menu that you're going to see here in just a second. And make sure that you click on Outreach Life-Giving, Outreach Life-Giving. And that'll help make sure those funds get to our Life-Giving Sunday. Okay, if you're here on site, you can also drop a check in the boxes as you walk out there. Okay, um, if you're on site, you saw me walk in with this. For those who are watching um, online, maybe this guitar is kind of far away from you. If you're sitting in the back of the room, don't worry, it's not a real guitar from an acapella purist in the room. Some of you, the anxiety just went through the roof. I know. That was good. We're getting some good laughs in here. It's kind of like, you're like, can I laugh at that? Is that okay? Uh, this is from a video game called Guitar Hero. How many of you have played Guitar Hero before? Yeah, Guitar Hero came out when I was in college, which kind of dates me. It's been around for a while. But back when I was in college, there was one of these Guitar Hero game controllers in just about every dorm room, uh, just about every college house. I mean, this was a big deal when it came out. And so you'll notice, like I, like I just said, that it's not a real guitar, okay? There's no strings or frets on this guitar. There's just five colored buttons, that's all we have on this guitar. Makes this, this sound if you hear, but when you sync it up to your game system, and some awesome rock and roll jam like Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine, starts playing, and you see on this screen this, these notes that are scrolling, they're not, not notes, they're just colors, and you gotta press them at the right time and strum the invisible strings at the right time to get it right. When Guns N' Roses starts playing Sweet Child of Mine, oh, Sweet Child, you know, you're just rocking out in there, in your dorm room. Now, admittedly, I was never good at this game. Lindsay was actually much better at this game, which she reminds me of occasionally. And uh, when I was in college, I mean, we had people on our hall in our dorm that would stay up all night trying to master a sweet child of mine. And if you get it wrong, if you miss enough notes, then this virtual crowd boos you off the virtual stage. And so you try again and you keep going and you play all night long. And I mean, there were people spending hours and hours trying to become guitar heroes. Somebody this week, they heard I was preaching about guitar hero and they sent me this video of this young man and he's playing one of the hardest guitar hero songs by memory. And as he does, as he plays it by memory, he's talking about how he doesn't have time for a girlfriend. He's just too busy, too stressed, right? And he's playing this song by memory the whole time, right? Okay, that's how it was in college. I mean, people were serious about this. And you didn't have the heart to tell them, you know, 2 a.m. They've just finally mastered Sweet Child of Mine. And they lift this fake guitar above their head in victory. You don't have the heart to tell them, you know it's not a real guitar. You know, you know you're not actually a guitar hero. Guns and Roses, none of them know who you are. You didn't have the heart to tell them that, but you thought it. You thought it in your mind. Because you knew. You, know, you knew there is a difference between playing Guns and Roses 2 a.m. in your dorm room and, you know, being on a real stage in front of thousands of people with the lights on you rocking out with this band and chorus behind you, something that looks like this you see on the screen behind me. I mean, there's a difference between your dorm room and that, isn't there? Okay. I think that difference is helpful here. 
I want us to think a little bit about that. I want us to think a little bit about that today. Scripture talks about life. You know, today's Life Giving Sunday, and I really want to define what we mean by that. Because Scripture talks about life, and Scripture is not just using uh, that idea, that word and concept or in the way we typically think about it, which is life is, if I'm breathing, I have life. Scripture talks about life in a way that's more robust, that is deeper and richer. It's like Jesus who says this. Remember this? This is in John 10.10. Jesus says, I came so that they, he's talking about you, could have life, indeed so that they would live life to the fullest. And here what Jesus is saying, he talks about life. He says, just so that you're clear, I'm not just talking about having breath in your body. I'm talking about something that is more full than that something that is deeper, something that is richer, something that is more than the life you currently have. That's why I've actually come, he says. All right, so help, think with me again. Help me with this. Think with me about Guitar Hero again. Now, here's what I want you to think about with Guitar Hero. It's not that the experience you have playing Guitar Hero is fake. It's that the experience is incomplete. Okay, because you have, you do have this legitimate experience, even if it's in your college dorm room, of being a part of something, being a part of this rock and roll jam, even if it's for a few minutes before you get booed off the virtual stage, you have this feeling of being part of something. Okay. And what I think is that that feeling comes from a deeper feeling that is hardwired into each of us. Okay, a feeling like you might have if you were on that stage with those lights shining down you in front of a sold-out audience with the crowd just in rapturous delight at your feet as you play some guitar solo, okay? But that feeling you have in a dorm room is not a fake version of that greater feeling. It's just an incomplete version of it. It's a desire that is unsatisfied, or at least only partially satisfied. Brishan used the language of addiction earlier. He challenged us to have this divine addiction. I didn't know he was going to say that. But it was perfect for what we're talking about this morning. Because what do I, think, think with me for a second about all the things we get addicted to. So for some of us, it's Guitar Hero. For others, it's chemicals. It's pleasure of various kinds. Think about all the things that we get addicted to in this life. And what we find about our addictions is that what keeps us coming back to those things is that they satisfy us for a moment but then that feeling of satisfaction passes. And then we're looking for that satisfaction again, so it keeps us coming back again and again and again. I think something similar was happening with all my college roommates back in our dorm, is that they would have, for just a few minutes during Guitar Hero, this satisfaction of a greater longing, a greater desire, a feeling of wanting to play in front of this sold-out audience with a crowd in front of them. They had this hint of that for just a second, and then it would pass, and they'd have to come back to it again and again. It's like in, in the Odyssey. You remember reading the Odyssey back in high school? And you have the sirens who have this song that draws Odysseus to this song. Okay. I think what we experience with Guitar Hero or any number of those things that we get addicted to is like an echo of this greater song that's out there. And so many of us settle for the echo. You know, it, it, it sounds good enough. And we keep tracing, we keep looking for this echo all over the world, and then we fail to account for the fact that that song has an origin. 
that there's a greater version of this song being played somewhere, and I'm just hearing echoes of it. Okay, it's those echoes that bring us to something like Guitar Hero. All right, here's, here's what I'm trying to help us see. We all have a longing in our heart. We all have what's been called an ache or a desire that is unsatisfied. And we find things in our lives that satisfy that desire for a moment, and then those things pass away, which is a signal, not that we were made to be dissatisfied, but that we are actually destined and designed for satisfaction. We're just looking in the wrong places. So when Scripture tries to define what it would be like to be satisfied, Scripture uses the word life. There's life. There's the life that you and I are living every day, the life that's caught up in things like Guitar Hero, my portfolio, and investments in work and baseball and soccer and all those things. There's that life. But there's, those things don't satisfy. Okay, when Scripture talks about life, it's talking about that ultimately satisfying version of it. Okay, so if you go to 2 Corinthians 3 with me, we read that. We see this in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, this idea of life, where he says the Spirit gives life, which is what you and I are trying to give today. And then as if anticipating that that word is not going to be enough for you and I. Because we think about life in really limited terms, Paul tries to take it a step farther and give us a different term to define what real life actually is. You know what the word that he uses is? Glory. He uses the word glory. Now, I preached about glory earlier this year. You may remember I used this example of LeBron James, you know, arguably the greatest basketball player of this generation. In that sermon, I said greatest basketball player of all time, and I had all these emails about Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and all this stuff. Okay, you're getting lost, lost in the weeds here, okay? You know, before every game, LeBron James will throw up the chalk and the, you have all these pictures of him like this and the crowd just in delight as he does it. That's this image of glory. Or that, that scene we saw of this sold-out concert with the guitarist playing, that's an image of glory. Well, Paul doesn't have LeBron James or the modern-day concert, so he appeals to the next best thing, which is Moses. Okay, Which, if you don't have LeBron, I guess Moses will work, right? And this is what he says about Moses. Do you remember this scene where Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai? And Moses encounters God on the top of Mount Sinai. And something happens there that is so powerful, so transformative, that as Moses comes back down the mountain, do you remember what he looks like? He looks like a Christmas light. You remember that? He's glowing. He's glowing. Okay, he comes back down the mountain and he's glowing so brightly that he has to put a veil over himself because the people can't even look at him straight. He's glowing. Okay, the point is not that Moses, you know, figured out how to glow. You know, the point is that something transformative happened on that mountain. And what Paul says is that when Moses was up on that mountain, he encountered the glory of God. That overwhelming, incredible, infinite glory of God and the experience of being in the presence of God's glory rubbed off on him. It actually changed his life. And so as Moses comes back down the mountain and the glow begins to fade, the glow is a signal to all the Israelites who see him coming back down the mountain that there is a life beyond this life, 
a life with all kinds of power that we can't even begin to imagine in this life. And the word that Paul uses to describe that kind of life that is so much better than the unsatisfying life we experience in this world, the word he uses is glory. This is what he says. It came with such glory, talking about Moses, that the Israelites couldn't even look for long at Moses' face because his face was shining with glory, even though it was a fading glory. Won't the ministry of the Spirit be much more glorious? Remember, what's the ministry of the Spirit? To give life. To give life. So this is a glorious ministry. If the ministry that brought condemnation has glory, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? In fact, what was glorious isn't glorious now because of the glory that is brighter. And if the glory that fades away was glorious, how much glorious is the one that lasts? It's that last word I want you to pay attention to, the glory that lasts. The other night, uh, Miss Laura Reagan, I think I see her right there, she made Lindsay and I a chocolate pie. She made us a chocolate pie. We're in the middle of a move. We don't have a functioning kitchen yet. If anybody else wants to make us a chocolate pie, you can. And, um, but Miss Laura made us this chocolate pie. I'm telling you, your, your chocolate pie is going to have trouble competing with this chocolate pie. In fact, Brett Reagan, her, her husband, Brett Reagan, he texted me after we started the chocolate pie, and he said, you usually have to die or have a baby to get that chocolate pie. And I know why, because it's good. You can't just make that chocolate pie all the time, Laura. Here's the thing about that pie. It was good. Was being the, the key word. You know, because every time I, I cut a slice of it over the next two or three days, sometimes at breakfast, because I'm only going to be 33 once, every time I cut a slice, out of the pie, it got smaller and smaller. And, the, you know, the pie didn't last. So, Laura, I'm not satisfied anymore. You know, you see, what I'm, you see what I'm talking about? I mean, don't you see how the things that satisfy us in this life, as wonderful as they are, they don't last? So it's the same with that pie. It's the same with Guitar Hero. It's not only that the nature of the life that we're destined for is glorious, it's that the duration of that life is eternal. It's lasting. So in this life, when I experience things that aren't satisfying, I can go and continue to look for other things to satisfy this desire that's not satisfied. Or I can recognize that in this life, nothing is going to last. Nothing is going to satisfy. And I can recognize that that is pointing me to an eternal destiny that is hardwired into me. This is what we call the argument of desire. If in this life I experience dissatisfaction at every turn, if the things that please me please me for only a moment, then what that signals to me is that God has hardwired my destiny into me. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says it like this, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. It's what we call the argument of desire. God builds desires into us that are not wrong in and of themselves. It's that as sinful humans, we seek to, to please those desires in ways that fall short of God's glory. But the desire is placed in us to point us to our eternal destiny. I mean, if you're watching right now, we know why you are dissatisfied. Because each of us experience that in our own lives. We know why, and the reason is because you were made for a life that will last forever. 
a life that will be glorious. And until you experience that glory, nothing else in this world compares. Nothing else compares. So this is what we read as we read on in 2 Corinthians 3. All of us who are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord, as if we are looking into a mirror, okay? We are being transformed into the image of the same, okay, into the same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What he's saying happens in the life of a believer, so somebody who's looking at the Lord, he's talking about Jesus, is that you find yourself looking at the Lord, and before you realize it, it's like you're looking in a mirror and you see your own reflection, and your vision of the Lord is so glorious and resplendent and glowing and magnificent and powerful, and suddenly you see yourself being transformed into that image. That's the message of Scripture. You are destined for that kind of transformation. You know, the kind of transformation that Paul talks about Moses experiencing on that mountain. You are destined for that. And so what happens to us when we encounter a life that is unsatisfying is we either focus on those things or we allow those things, those dissatisfactions, to refocus us on our glorious and eternal life. This is what he goes on to say. This is 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we aren't depressed. But even if our bodies are being broken down on the outside, the person we are on the inside is being renewed day by day. Our temporary minor problems are producing what? An eternal stockpile of glory for us. That's beyond all comparison. We don't focus on the things that can be seen, but on the things that can't be seen. The things that can be seen don't last. But the things that can be seen are eternal. How are we going to make it through this year 2020? <laughs> right. This is how. You know, outwardly we're wasting away, but what are we focused on? This eternal future that each of us are called to. Here's the point. You are, you are an eternal person. You will last. And the dissatisfactions you experience in this life will be satisfied in the end. And you will live a life that is so glorious. You can't even imagine it right now. And that glorious life will finally satisfy what in this life has never been satisfied. And the best news of all is it will last. You're a forever person. That's the life you're destined for. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's not only the kind of life we want to have. That's the kind of life we want to give. Are you with me? And it's really important to be clear about what kind of life we are trying to give today when we give $275,000. I said money talks, and we're trying to explain what our money is saying. We care that you're, you're breathing. We care about your condition in this world. But the reason we care about you is because you're going to last. Let me, let me give you one more C.S. Lewis quote that's just absolutely wrecked me. Okay. This, is, this has been a quote I've carried with me for a long time. Breach and I have actually been talking about this quote over the last few weeks. And I thought it was, 
is meaningful for this morning. He's reflecting on what we find here in 2 Corinthians, this idea that you are destined for a glorious forever life. And he says this, though. Okay, It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And notice that G is lowercase. What he means by that is that, is that every person is destined for a life of transformation and glory into the image of God, more so into the image of the Lord, or something else, and he goes on on that. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, and to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Think about Moses coming down from the mountain. Or else a horror and a corruption, so as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals, immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, exploit, immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. Think about that next time you're standing in line at the DMV. Or think about that next time you're on Facebook and somebody makes a comment and you want to jump down their throat on Facebook about the comment they made. But this person is an everlasting splendor. This person is made to last. But this is a person who is filled with all kinds of unsatisfied desires that they can't name, all kinds of longings and aches for something that God has hardwired into them that they don't fully understand. And God is trying to use you to get their attention, to tell them, I know why you're dissatisfied. It's because you were made for another world. Okay, you were made for a life that is glorious, a life that is going to last. And why God chooses you and me to do that, I don't know. Okay, why God just doesn't do that on his own without us, I don't know. For some reason, God uses people who are less than glorious currently to communicate what all of us are destined for. He says this is what Paul says. He qualified us. He qualified us as ministers of a new covenant. That's 2 Corinthians 3.6. He qualified us. You're not qualified for that. I'm not qualified for that. But for some reason, and this is what makes Christianity distinct from every other religion, God qualifies you like he qualifies me to be the ones who communicate to the world why they are dissatisfied. It's because you were made for another world. You were made for so much more than this. You were made for a life that is so much more than the one you're living in your dorm room at 2 a.m. in the morning. You were made for a life that is glorious and will last. And so the reason we're going to give today to you is not because we're nice. It's because you are eternal. Okay, the reason we're going to give today to you and to ministries that are trying to reach you with everything they have is not because we're nice and kind and generous or blessed. It's because you're going to last forever. Okay, and tell me, church, what other investments you're making that have a guarantee like that? 
Okay, as you look at your portfolio, what other investments you're making have a trajectory that is forever? Right? This is what we do. This is the time twice a year. When what we do, we do for one reason. We do to reach those people who are outside this space who we believe are going to last forever. Okay, it's one thing to think about your eternal glory. And we can talk about that all the time. Frankly, we should talk about it more. You are destined for a glorious life. Okay, but what that destiny should do for you is to convict you that every person you encounter this life is destined for that same kind of glory, and they just need to know it. They just need to be drawn to look into that eyes of Jesus and see themselves reflected there until the glory they see in him becomes their own. That's why we're going to do what we're going to do. The reason that this day is so significant in many ways, we don't talk about this enough, okay, is that in this moment where we give of ourselves, we reflect what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is the first one to take a step towards us because he knows we last forever. You know, the, the story of Scripture is that Jesus comes down from being very nature with God, experiencing eternity and all of its glory, comes down to heaven dies, is crucified for you and I so that we might know that we are meant to last forever. And we take a meal every week to remember that. It's called communion. We remember the body of Jesus that's broken as we take bread. We remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for us as we drink of the cup. And in doing that this morning, I challenge you to reflect on the fact that this was done so that you would know you will last forever. And that as you give of yourself after that, whether it's online or you give in one of these boxes, as you walk out of here, you'll do so because you believe not only are you going to last forever, but so is everyone else. And we need to let them know. Let's pray. God, you have destined us for glory. It's a glory we can't even understand. We can't fathom. We've seen glimpses of it in this life like when Moses comes down from that mountain. God, as we stare into the face of your son, we catch an even further glimpse of that glory. And God, we pray that you would transform us from one degree of glory to another. And that you would use this morning as we take of your body, your blood, to do that. We pray, God, that you would also through our gift, through our sacrifice, that you would move us closer to the glory you're calling us towards. And you will prepare us for that life, that glorious life that will last. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.